Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. In his latest book about to be released titled Big Trouble Ahead, my guest this hour, Pastor Alan Jackson, warns that there is indeed big trouble ahead, and that in fact it's already here, and that the church in America is being shaken as never before, from rampant deception and lawlessness to intense cultural pressures to conform and compromise. However, as the book's subtitle also states, there is a real plan for flourishing in a time of fear and deception. And by the way, you can hear Alan Jackson Ministries with Alan Jackson at 10.30 to 11 p.m. Monday through Friday, right here on 105.1 FM WAVA, and also Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. on Sirius XM Channel 131 Family Talk Radio. Now, many of you already know this. Others who may not, Pastor Jackson is Senior Pastor of World Outreach Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where under his ministry and leadership since 1989, the church has grown from less than 30 people to over 15,000. His previous book, Intentional Faith, was released in March of 2020, and this latest book scheduled for release on August 16th, next month. Uh, Pastor Jackson, an honor to welcome you to WAVA and the Don Crow Show. Thank you for joining me. Well, it's my privilege, Don. It's good to be with you today. And thank you for telling the truth in D.C. Well, we're doing that. <laughs> it is in the belly of the beast, isn't it? I would say so. That's a good place to be, though. Amen to that. Well, you stayed in big trouble ahead uh, that the 2020 Easter service at your church, right in the middle of the pandemic, was for you a real wake-up call. What happened? What became really clear to you that day? And I assume that's kind of what prompted you to write this book. Am I right? It was. That was really kind of the day that I felt like the curtain got pulled back. I had rather arrogantly always said that we would have church no matter what happened, no matter how deep the snow was, how high the floodwaters got. If a tornado hit the building, we would pull up a truck in the parking lot. We would have church until we didn't. And I didn't I didn't anticipate that. And that Easter Sunday, we were closed. I mean, we I was in an empty sanctuary, and I was still so much in the past. There's a picture. I'm standing in an empty room behind a podium with my suit on. I wasn't awake enough yet to know I could change my wardrobe if there wasn't anybody else at church. <laughs> and I preached to a red light at the back of the room, mm. and I realized that the world had changed. Then in those next few weeks, we watched that continue to grow at a, at a dizzying pace with deception and manipulation and lawlessness and setting aside civil rights. And then it expanded into censorship and propaganda and I, I don't think the church was prepared. I spent my life in the church, and from the seat I was in, we weren't prepared. But I also think it has begun to awaken us to circumstances that, candidly, we just weren't aware of. I don't think that they were they're particularly new. I just think they had been growing, and we were kind of the frog in the kettle. And so I'm grateful that God in His mercy has awakened us. And I believe now it's time that we are, we're going to have to retake some territory that we surrendered. But that's an exciting opportunity. That's not frightening to me. Well, you know, uh, Pastor, as you're saying it, and I thought it uh, during the pandemic and subsequent, and I'm sure you will have an awareness of it as well. We in America have been so sheltered in terms of Christianity and church life 
But much of the rest of the Christian world has been experiencing this kind of pressure from its cultures for decades, if not uh, millennia now, but certainly in the last numbers of years, the church otherwise has been under adversity in places all over the world that we now are just feeling the ripples of. Would you agree? You're exactly right, Don. In fact, you know, we have worshipped so deeply at the altars of comfort and convenience that when we thought about difficulty or trouble, we immediately leap to the conclusion it's the end of the age and the king is coming. And I'm okay with that. I'll be happy if he comes this afternoon. But the awkward reality is that our brothers and sisters around the world have been living in the midst of some very harsh circumstances for quite a while. I think it would be difficult to say that to our Ukrainian brothers and sisters today that difficulty is not a part of our journey of faith. You know, we spent some time in Rwanda, and a million people in a 100-day window of time were slaughtered in that nation in the 90s. Um, Sudan has lost more than two and a half million people in a civil war that's extended across decades. Our, our world is filled with trouble and upset and upheaval. We've just had the privilege of living in this protected place. And so I think now we're going to have to have the courage to face what our culture is has become and still be willing to stand and assert our faith in the public square and in our schools and our college campuses and our hospital corridors. We don't have to be angry. We don't have to be belligerent, but we're going to have to be just as determined to take our Judeo-Christian worldview and see it be extended once again. We can do this. And I think there's a good question as to the impact of COVID on so many levels. I mean, it turned everything upside down, economics, social contact, and all of it, our schools, our kids, our families. Uh, But uh, do you think that uh, COVID really increased the misinformation we've been given, or was it merely kind of drawing the veil back and exposing the misinformation that we've been giving on a, given on a lot of fronts by our leaders and by our governmental structures for some time? Yeah, it, it's awkward to acknowledge it, but I really think COVID just pulled the curtain back. You know, the reality is um, CRT and so many of the things that have made their way into the public square They've been flourishing in our universities yep. for decades. Yep. I mean, I love to learn, and I've studied in a variety of settings, and that nonsense was a part of those curriculum for a long time. I just kind of overlooked it and thought it's, it's too bizarre to ever make it into the mainstream. And now they're teaching it to our elementary children. And we're going to have to wake up and acknowledge our own complicity in what happened because we wanted the degrees and the, the things that they brought to our lives, so we were kind of quiet. I was. And I have repented publicly and before the Lord. We're going to have to have the courage to say there is a God, and He's real, and Jesus is His Son, and His truth makes a difference. We need the church to be alive and well. Pastor, how is it that the churches here in the West, at least, got completely sideswiped, uh, side if you will, uh, totally surprised by uh, what happened under COVID, and really uh, in many ways, has not recovered, I think, yet. Some heads are still spinning. Would you agree? I, I would agree. I think there's a temptation that we all face. That, you know, we would like to go back to the conditions we were in before we ever heard of COVID-19 yeah, or before we knew where Wuhan, China was on a map. But the reality is we're not going back. It, we're, we've been awakened to a new condition, a new state of being. And the question now is how do we respond to that? And I, I think a couple of things happened. I, I think anytime there is affluence and comfort, 
the church tends to lose our focus. We're not the first generation to do that. That story goes all the way back to when Moses went up on the mountain. It didn't take very long before they had a golden calf and were having a pagan party. So we shouldn't imagine we're the first generation to have this struggle. There's an arrogance in that that is debilitating. If we can simply acknowledge that we drifted off course a bit and humble ourselves and begin to make the corrections we need to, God will respond to us. The problems we face are not because of the depravity of the wicked. Our challenges emerge from the indifference of the faithful. And if we will allow God to rekindle our hearts and we will humble ourselves, the problem isn't who the people we see through the windows of the church. The problem is the condition of the hearts of those of us who gather on the weekends to worship. The creator of heaven and earth is still watching over us, and we can bring significant change. We have to. We don't need a 51% majority. You know, we have trusted the wrong things to secure our future. And if we can come back with some simple faith and have the courage to live it out, I believe we'll see God move in some most dramatic ways. Talk about the, uh, I'm sure you're aware, uh, uh, perhaps not the exact survey, uh, but uh, ones like it at least. I talked recently with George Barnett about one of his researchers, uh, research reports regarding the paucity of biblical worldview among evangelical Christians, a, a number that is pro, just st- shockingly low as in terms of believers who have a real solid biblical worldview. Talk about what a worldview is uh, in and of itself and w- how the biblical worldview is really supposed to be quite different from what uh, the world in general may hold. It is, you're exactly correct, and we have lost sight of that. You know, I read the literature. It's where I have spent my life, and pre- prior to COVID, most of the discussions for more than a decade had been about how we build bridges to the unchurched world. And those bridges weren't built on biblical truth. Those bridges were being built on forms of compromise, syncretism. You know, how do we make friends with people without letting our faith be too prevalent? And the the... the the insanity of that approach has been exposed by COVID. And so now we've got to come back and say, we've got to stop apologizing for believing in the uniqueness of Jesus or the authority of Scripture or saying that there really is a creator God. And those all come from that worldview that you're talking about. It just is, when we say worldview, we just mean the filter through which we see the world. Yeah. It's how we define relationships. It's how we understand what truth is. It's how we understand human character. And there's a Judeo-Christian worldview that has been lived out by the Christian church since its beginning. And our, our own, in our own nation, our legal system emerged from that Judeo-Christian worldview. Our founding documents, our, our academic institutions that are the most revered, all of those were shaped by that Judeo-Christian worldview. And it's awkward to admit it, but the church lost our focus and our, our perspective on life was barely distinguishable from the secularist. And so now we've got to come back with enough humility to say, Lord, we have been distracted. You know, the biblical word for repent, in, in the Greek of the New Testament, the word repent means to change how you think. In the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the word repent means to turn around. And with both of those words, we really get a biblical picture of repentance. We have to change how we think and change how we have been walking, how we've been behaving. And I I believe the great gift of COVID and all the things that have come after that, the violence, the lawlessness, the the propaganda, is an opportunity for God's people to acknowledge we haven't really been thinking in a godly way. 
we don't want to get we don't want to be angry we don't need to look through the windows we need to sit at our kitchen table in the evenings and say what would it look like for this family and for us to begin to embrace a biblical worldview again we can do it lovingly but we're going to have to do it with some determination and it really does start in the home, and that's where the battle's first lost, I would suspect. I remember years ago, it may have been Spurgeon who said it, a woman came and asked him uh, how soon she should begin to teach her son about God and the Scriptures, and he said, well, how old is he? And she said, he's five years old. He said, woman, get home. You're five years too late. And uh, I really think that this is what uh, we've been reminded of with the uh, the unveiling, as you said earlier, the pulling back of the veil with COVID, uh, parents have been learning some things about what's been being taught to their children in the public school system that they had no idea. And it's really causing families to rethink what's been happening to their kids. And I think it's returning the burden to where it belongs in the home. What do you think about that? Absolutely. I mean, keep saying that. And I think we have to see the gift in what's happening. You know, that veil being pulled back and the parents getting the awareness as they watched over their children's shoulders on the computer screens, yeah. we had been either unaware or ambivalent about what was being taught in the schools, and we're awake in a whole new way today. I think the recent ruling on the Supreme Court with regard to Roe v. Wade, they haven't settled the issue, but they've given the states the opportunity to express our will again. That's an expression of God's grace for us to remove a stain that was going to bring his judgment. It was inescapable. We didn't earn that. We didn't vote for that. God gave us that gift. And so I would encourage your listeners not to spend too much time watching the news or chasing their favorite theory on the Internet. Spend more time looking Amen. for what God is doing. He is moving in the most remarkable ways. And if we will teach our children, if we will have the courage to say to one another, what a biblical view of human sexuality is, and a biblical view of marriage, and a biblical view of family. Gender really isn't confusing. My father was a veterinarian, and I grew up around a lot of different animals, and I, there was never any confusion on the farm about gender. <laughs> this is not really a confusing topic, and God is not the author of confusion. That spirit that is being introduced into our young people is very destructive. And we shouldn't apologize for refusing to yield to that. Again, we don't have to be angry, but we don't have to capitulate. We can love people without agreeing with their ungodly ideas. And so it really is, we're not without authority or power. If we will use our influence in the spheres that God has given us, we will see his response in a much broader way in our nation, in our world. And we know the Lord himself promised us, he said, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Talk about the importance of the Holy Spirit and his work in these times. Well, I think, you know, before COVID, we preferred a seminar about heaven to heaven. Mm. And before COVID, we had the luxury of debating the person of the Holy Spirit and how we would cooperate with him and how we wouldn't. But I would remind your listeners of what Jesus said when he was sitting with his closest friends, he had Peter and James and John and Mary. He had that crew. They spent three years with him. And he said, there's a lot that you sh I still need to tell you, but there's more than you can bear right now. Yeah. But I'm going to send you another comforter, a counselor, and he will guide you into all truth. If Jesus thought Peter, James, and John, after three years of personal instruction and life experience with Jesus, needed the help of the Holy Spirit, I think there's a reasonable imagination that Alan and Don might benefit from the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
So perhaps we should just humble ourselves and begin to say to him, you're welcome in my life. No yep. preconditions, yep. no boundaries. I want to learn to hear in a new way, to see in a new way. I need a more receptive heart. Forgive me for my stubbornness. And let's just see what God will do. There's so much more in the book than we're going to have time to cover. But by the way, if you're just joining us, I'm talking with Pastor Alan Jackson. The book's called Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception, just on the threshold of release as his as his uh, latest book. And in this last couple of minutes, I understand that in this book, you break down the Lord's Prayer line by line, the chapter talking about the fundamentals of our faith. Is there a phase of that prayer in which you think most Christians would be blessed or helped to revisit? Uh, talk about that uh, part of the book and what you address there. Well, I'll, I'll give you one line that I think is very hopeful. Jesus taught us to pray, to let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's intent is that his will be done on the earth. So we're not trying to recreate something new. We're not trying to fashion some imagination. We're simply standing alongside of what Jesus told us we were to ask the creator of all things to do. So we don't have to make the lift. We just get to borrow the language of Ephesians and having done all we know to stand in that place. We're told to overcome evil with good. The book of Revelation is written to overcomers. The promises of Revelation is to the one who overcomes. So if you have challenges or obstacles or resistance, you're not unique. You haven't been singled out. You're certainly not a failure. It's the assignment that we take the truth that God has entrusted to us, and we be light and salt in this world. There'll be opposition. Jesus told us we would have trouble. But opposition doesn't mean we have lost our way. It means we are seeing God's will be expressed in this earth, and there'll be opposition. They're protesting, I'm sure, today in front of the Supreme Court. But I'm telling you, all over Middle Tennessee, we're celebrating with our voices lifted up that God has opened the door for the sanctity of human life to be honored in a new way. Don't lose sight of what God is doing. On that note, we have to wrap it up, uh, Pastor, but where's the best uh, place for folks to get the book? Well, you can pre-order if you go to alanjackson.com, and we've got a few things there to help you. I just made, I was just in Jerusalem, and I made a video. If you pre-order, you'll get a little update from Jerusalem on the big trouble that's ahead. Um, beyond that, you can go to Amazon and order it. That's probably the simplest. They deliver everywhere. But you can pre-order it at Alan Jackson. to talk with you, sir. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you so much, Don, for what you're doing. Again, that's Pastor Alan Jackson, and I want to give you the title of the book for those who may be just joining us toward the end of this uh, quick visit. It is Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. And I just was able to only touch highlights of the book. There's so much more to it. I just got a copy of it the other day myself, looking forward to continuing to read it and complete it. But my, what I've read so far is well worth your attention. And uh, it's called Big Trouble Ahead. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.